Father, thank you that we've been able to praise you this morning. Thank you that we've rejoiced in who you are and all that you're doing and all that you will do. And Lord, now as as we come to hear your word, give us ears to hear and give us hearts to respond. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Wonderful. Can you hear me? No. <laughs> That's not, not unusual. Um, can, am, am I on? Yeah? No. Yeah, I'm, t- I'm switched on. I'm sure we'll sort it. Good to see everyone. Um, my name is James. If you've not met before, I'm one of the elders here at New Life. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 today, verses 2 to 5. We're going to be in that passage if you want to turn there in your Bibles. If you've got one, don't worry. If you don't, it will come up on the screen in a moment. Um, we're in a series at Philippians looking at what it means to have joy in life. And we could all do with a bit more joy, couldn't we, after the past couple of years? And so we're going through Philippians look at, looking at joy and discovering that true joy is found in Jesus. Um, I wonder if you've ever ha- received a, a package and it has this sign on it. Handle with care. You get packages like this through the door sometimes, don't you? Because it tells you that something inside is a bit fragile, a bit delicate, and the box just needs to be handled with a little bit of care. Um, perhaps something in it can be easily crushed. And, and as people, we can be a bit like that, can't we? Um, we need to be handled with care. Um, when you get a package like this, it tells you there's something precious inside it, doesn't it? tells me anyway, you know, when the Amazon man arrives at the door and it says, handle with care, fragile on the front, that if I don't handle it with care, there'll be a tricky conversation to have later in the day if I happen to drop it and break whatever is inside of it. Um, because it's precious, whatever's inside here. And we as people, we're precious to God. We're precious to him. Um, we're made in his image. He loves us. The Father sent Jesus, the Son, to die for us. We're precious to him. But we can be a bit fragile as well, can't we? can be a little bit delicate. And we can be easily crushed by words. And the church is like that as well. The church is precious to the Lord, precious to God. Jesus was sent to die, to give his life for the church. church is precious to the Lord. But we can also, the church can be fragile, can't it? It can be a bit delicate. It can be easily crushed by disagreement, by quarrelling, by grumbling, which can damage and divide the church. So we as people and the church itself needs to be handled, like these packages, handled with care. And in the context of this passage in Philippians, um, two ladies, Yodia and Syntyche, um, who ran alongside Paul and Clement and some others in establishing the church in Philippi. These women are significant leaders of the church. They're well-known, they're well-respected, they're loved, they're likely good examples to others. Um, they're not, this is unlikely to be just petty, petty bickering. Um, there's a, a genuine disagreement about how the gospel should go on in Philippi, and there's a disagreement between them, and it's affecting the church life and church 
mission. It's not a misogynistic note of kind of all uh, typical bickering women. No, he's, when Paul mentions these two dear ladies, he's honouring them and their significant role in the church. It's unusual, actually, for Paul to pick out individuals um, uh, with a note of correction in letters. He very rarely does it. In fact, if you're an enemy and he's making, he's kind of noting you, he tends to do it anonymously. And anonymity is a way of kind of um, recognizing the enmity between people in letters. Um, But he names them because he loves them. They're co-workers with him um, and he's got good friendship with them. It's a sign of his friendship with them. He's got freedom to call them to have the same mind and uh, and call uh, another to help them in it too. He's not being insensitive. Paul knows the pain of having a sharp disagreement with a dear friend. You might have read in Acts, Paul and Barnabas, if you read the story in Acts, they kind of go in together, and then it says there was a sharp disagreement between them. We don't know what that was, but it was enough to mean that they needed to separate. Paul and Barnabas went on their own ways. Paul knows the difficulty of just sharply disagreeing about how the gospel should go on with a dear friend, and it causing um, division. And disagreement is affecting the church. It's public, it's well known, um, it's damaging and dividing the church, and therefore it's damaging the church's um, mission to reach Philippi with the gospel. What's happening really is this very precious box, the church in Philippi, is being dropped. I would drop it, but I've just remembered that I, and I meant to, but I've just remembered I put my phone in there to put it somewhere safe. <laughs> It really is something I probably shouldn't drop. Um, The box is being dropped, if you like, and it's wrecking the joy of the church. It's wrecking it. There's nothing like uh, an atmosphere of grumbling, an atmosphere of quarrelling, an atmosphere of disagreement in a church to wreck its joy. There's nothing like it. Constant grumbling, questioning, quarrelling, disagreement in a church will rob it of joy. And that's what's happening in the passage. Um, and so we need to handle the church with care here at New Life, don't we? We need to handle ourselves, one another, with care. Um, we've sensed the mission of God advancing here in Beckles and beyond. And as we kind of go on, we've got new folk joining. Uh, we're, uh, we're encouraged, aren't we, by those prophetic words that we've received. They're kind of exciting us and bringing us future shape and direction. We feel the hand of God leading us into the exploration of this building. And um, we've got new beginnings with appointment of elders and leaders in various aspects of church life. There's a, like Rod was pointing out this morning, you, you may have noticed, there's a bit of vibrancy and a lift in our worship, in our sung worship together. I think that's probably fair to say, a bit of a greater freedom, a bit of a greater vibrancy and enjoyment of God in our Sunday gatherings. Um, there's new house group resources. There's a Ukraine venture, which is exciting us, and we're gathering too. Um, but it needs to be handled with care. We need to be handled with care as a church. Um, we've got one of these signs on us, if you like. Handle with care. Because what's going on here at New Life is precious to God. It's precious to him. You're precious to God. He loves you. You're made in his image. He wants you to flourish. He wants us as a church to flourish. But we're fragile as well. We're delicate and we can be easily crushed by disagreement, quarreling and grumbling. 
Shall we have a look at the passage together? He says, I plead, I'm reading from the NIV this time, I plead with Euodia, I've got it here on the screen, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. If you remember back to chapter 2, Paul had used exactly the same language when talking about agreeing with one another, having the same mind, the same mind of Jesus, caring and having the interest of others at heart. He says, yes, and I ask you, my true companion, we're not sure who that is, but help these women, since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness, or in another version it says, let your gentle spirit be evident to all. So first of all, what's... What is gentleness? What is a gentle spirit? Um, there can be a bit of a caricature, can't there, of gentleness in our culture that um, to be gentle in spirit is to be a bit feeble, a bit soft, a bit timid, a bit insipid, uh, a bit vapid, perhaps a bit trite and inauthentic. Actually, a gentle spirit is kind, merciful, gracious, reasonable in conversation and in disagreement, tolerant of others' failures and flaws and faults. It's tender, handling others with care. Ephesians 3 says this, Walk in a manner of the worthy, uh, worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and all gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. If, anything, when you th- if you're anything like me and you think of this topic of gentleness, it's a real, I find it a real challenge. And personally this week, Jess could tell you some stories of where I've not actually been a little bit sharp, irritable, been impatient, times when I've been easily exasperated, and she's bore the brunt of it. We're grateful, aren't we, for the work of Jesus by his spirit in us, bearing the fruit of repentance and change and of gentleness in life. And I'm grateful that God's uh, a work in my heart, but I'm very aware of the need to grow in this. So very much speaking to myself this morning. And the starting place for growing in gentleness is knowing and experiencing the gentleness of God himself. His goodness and loving kindness, as we sung about this morning. His mercy in forgiving our cruelty, our roughness, our harsh edge, uh, our harshness and rough edges and thanking him for it. It says this in Titus, speak evil of no one. Don't badmouth others. Don't criticize them. Avoid quarreling in a back and forth with others. Be gentle. Show perfect courtesy towards others. For we ourselves were once, and then he lists off a bunch of things, essentially saying, for we ourselves were once not gentle. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because we were already gentle, but according to his own mercy, his, his gentleness, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The starting point for gentleness is knowing and experiencing the gentleness and goodness of God ourselves and enjoying his loving kindness towards us. So what does a gentle spirit Look like if the starting point is experiencing God's gentleness, how do we experience God's gentleness? We experience it in the person of Jesus. That's probably not a surprise. I was 
quite an obvious answer to that question, given I'm preaching about Jesus. But Jesus has a gentle spirit. In fact, I wonder how we would describe Jesus' heart and how he is. What's what's the centre and the essence of Jesus and what he is like? In Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus says this about his own heart. I am gentle and lowly in heart, or gentle and humble in heart. He says this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, if uh, we admit our need for him, if we come to him weary, burdened by our own efforts in life, and recognize our need for forgiveness, recognize our need for transformation, then Jesus' heart towards us is gentle and lowly. And if you're anything like me, occasionally harsh and agitated, irritable, rough, a bit severe or intolerant, if you're ever unreasonable or impatient, the good news is that Jesus isn't like that. He isn't like that. I'm just going to give us a quote from this book. Um, that we uh, used in house groups. But maybe if if you've not read this, there's a cracking book about the heart of Jesus and what he's like. I can highly recommend it. We have a few still available for just £2. If you haven't read it and want to, um, you can come and ask and uh, I can give it to you for the the princely sum of just two quid. And uh, he says in this book this about Jesus, that he's meek, humble, gentle, Jesus is not trigger-happy. He's not harsh, reactionary, and easily exasperated. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms, tender, open, welcoming, accommodating, understanding, willing. He doesn't handle us roughly. He doesn't scowl and scold. He doesn't lash out. Jesus' heart is drawn out to you and I. That's what Jesus is like. I wonder if that's how you see God. Is that your idea of what God is like towards you? Because God is mighty and powerful and strong. We often sing that, don't we? God's almighty, he's powerful, he's strong, he's sovereign. But he's also gentle, humble, kind, merciful and gracious. They're not at odds with one another. God, one writer says, God is strong, is a strong hand with a tender touch. He's a strong hand but with a tender touch. And before learning uh, what it, it means to be gentle in spirit, we first need to know and experience the gentleness of God in Jesus and live out of the good in it ourselves. If you're ever, like me, occasionally harsh with others, a bit rough, easily irritable or exasperated. If you've perhaps been treated roughly in life, then Jesus says, come to me. He's powerful but gentle. He's strong with a tender touch. He is what gentleness and a gentle spirit looks like. Come to him and experience his gentleness. Where do we see Examples of gentleness. Well, you see it in Jesus' life. Jesus, I don't know if you ever have like a, a coffee or Coke and have it with too much water. 
kind of watered down. Gen- Jesus isn't a watered down coffee. He's like he's the strong type, you know. That it's got it's got proper beans in it. It's not a he's he's the original Coke. He's not some tepid version like the cheap cola you get out of the supermarket or Pepsi. Should I say it? <laughs> he's not watered down. I'm sure Pepsi's great. Sorry, but uh, um, yeah, he's not. Um, Jesus. Is, uh, it doesn't mean Jesus never confronted or challenged. He did, didn't he? We can think of lots of examples in scripture where Jesus uh, confronts and challenges. You think of the, in John 4, the woman at the well. It's a woman who's been searching for satisfaction in many different relationships, several of them. And Jesus has this conversation with her and you never doubt his love for the woman. But he also confronts her. And challenges where she's looking for satisfaction in all these other places and tells her that she can find it in him. And she goes away saying, I've met the Messiah, I've met the one who can satisfy my soul essentially. Because Jesus convicts deeply, but also delicately. He convicts deeply, but also delicately. You think about the, the woman in, who's caught having an affair in John 8. Everyone else is surrounding her, wants to stone her, put her to death. That was the law uh, to put her to death for having had an affair. And Jesus says, anybody who hasn't sinned, you throw the first stone. And they all drop the stones and walk away. But then what does he say to her? Go and sin no more. He confronts and challenges. He's gentle and loving. You don't doubt it, but that doesn't mean he's insipid and tepid in the way that he confronts and challenges. Or you think of his relationship with Peter. He challenges um, Peter to change and to transform. You don't doubt his love for Peter. You think about the passage that Nigel preached from last week. Jesus says to Peter and to the disciples in the boat, take heart. Don't be discouraged. It's, it's, it's me. It's I. Don't be afraid. And then when Peter starts sinking because he takes his eyes off Jesus, what does he say to him? You have little faith. Confronts and challenges Think about the time when uh, Peter says, Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. And he gets it. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one who's going to come to save us. And Jesus says, Peter, you're going to be part of building my church. You're going to have the keys to the kingdom. And then a few verses later, Satan, get behind me. He's both gentle and loving, but that doesn't mean he's not firm in confrontation and in challenge. I love this quote from this book by Mike Reeves. It's called Christ Our Life. Highly recommend it. If you want to read a book about Jesus, this is just outstanding. It's pretty snappy um, and well worth the read. And I'm just going to read something uh, that he says about Jesus. He says, yes, he was a man who felt a world of pain, yet who abounded with joy. Generous and genial, Firm and resolute. He's always surprising. Loving, but not soppy. His insight unsettled people. And his kindness won them. Indeed, he was a man of extraordinary and extraordinarily appealing contrasts. You simply couldn't make him up. For you'd make him only one or the other. He was red-blooded and human, but not rough. Pure, but never dull. Serious, with some beams of wit. Sharper than cut glass, he out-argued all comers, but never 
for what, for the sake of the win. He knew no failings in himself, yet was transparently humble. He made the grandest claims for himself, yet without a whiff of pomposity. He ransacked the temple, spoke of hellfire, called Herod a fox, the Pharisees pimped up courses, and yet never do you doubt his love as you read his life. That's Jesus. The gentleness of Jesus saturates the early church's life in scripture as well. As we read about the early church, Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, verses 7 and 11. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. They had mothers and fathers in the church who challenged and confronted people, helped them to grow and mature, but did so gently, nurturing, encouraging, urging them on in faith. And perhaps you've had examples of that in your own life. Friends in church, mothers and fathers who've nurtured and who've encouraged you, urged you on, but also being clear in confronting and challenging and helping you to grow. So how can we handle others with care and fulfill what Galatians 6.1 says, restore the other in a spirit of gentleness? Sometimes um, when we confront others, it can be a little bit ready, fire, aim. <laughs> and we want to be ready, aim, fire. So how can we do that with others? And there's four things uh, to give thought to. Um, by being careful and full of care with these four things, our content, our tone, our timing, and the medium we use. So careful with our words, whatever medium we're using, whether we're on the phone or face-to-face conversation, writing an email, posting something on social media, sending a text, we're to be careful with our words, full of care, recognizing the potential they have for good or bad. It says in Proverbs 12:18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Our words can have great impact, can't they? So thinking about what we're going to say, the kind of language we use, what our words will communicate, how they'll be heard by others, giving time to forming them well. You're not just sending the email, send. What I do, if it's tricky, I'll write the email and I'll send it to somebody or I'll ask Jess to look at it and say, Jess, how does that read to you when you read it? Does it come across as a little bit edgy? Is there anything I've said in there that's not very clear or could be misheard? Because I want to be careful in the way that I communicate with others because we want to handle one another with care. Well, we can get it wrong, can't we? Um, t- second thing is tone. We communicate much by our tone, don't we? If I say, God is gentle! <laughs> I've not done a very good job of communicating the thing I want to say. <laughs> but I am not! <laughs> yeah. By our tone, we kind of communicate something. Our body language says something more. Um, so it's good to approach with humility rather than assertiveness, questions more often than statements, submissiveness rather than resistance. There's a Chinese proverb that says, don't remove a fly from your head, friend's forehead with an axe. <laughs> don't remove a fly from your friend's forehead with an axe. And so we need to choose the tone that feels more like a gentle swipe with a handkerchief 
rather than an axe to the forehead. The third thing, timing. It's so easy, isn't it, to talk to others when it's convenient for us. We go, oh, can I just grab you and then do it quickly and then I've managed to do it. I wasn't really looking forward to that. Thank God I got it out of the way. But it wasn't very helpful to the other person. Taking time to do this can be, it can be time consuming, can't it? It can be inconvenient. That proverbs, that proverb says not to use rash words, but to take time thinking about them. And James 1.19 encourages us to be slow to speak. Slow to speak. But also, actually being timely and prompt with things can be helpful sometimes, can't it? If you're in a disagreement with someone, coming to them quickly can be help stop resentment building. You know when you're at, kind of, you just disagree with someone, the longer you leave it, you know, this is going to be a tricky conversation. You put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off. Resentment builds, distance builds. And what happens? It gets harder and harder and harder, like with the Odeon Syntyche, harder to have the conversation. And where others need to help you, have it. Whereas sometimes having the conversation promptly can stop that from building. So when's the most loving time to share it with the person? And the fourth thing, medium. Sorry, I didn't put them up very big, did I? I should change that for next time. What is the best way to share that? If you think, you've got a toolbox, haven't you, when it comes to talking to others. You've got many different ways you can talk to them. You can post something on your social media. You can send them a text or a WhatsApp message. You can even press a microphone on your WhatsApp and speak it instead, which I actually find quite handy because then people get the tone of your voice and I don't have to worry about how I've texted it because I think you've heard it because, you know, you can hear my voice. Um, You can write them a letter, send them a card. You can talk to them face-to-face. There are a million and one ways for us to communicate with one another. Um, And you need the right tool for the task. The other day we were painting our garden fence and uh, I was using this poxy little brush, um, and it was taking me six or seven dips into the pot of paint. To, to go. And I'm not a very practical person, so I'm thinking none of it, really. I'm just thinking, gosh, this is going to take a long time. And Aaron, my neighbor, who's a joiner, got a lot more sense than me, wanders over, James, here's a brush, big old thing, exactly the size of a panel that I'm doing. Dip it in. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's easy. Right tool. The double came up. Thanks, Al. <laughs> really helpful. Um, we need the right tool for the task, don't we? And so you don't crack a nut with a sledgehammer, do you? You don't crack a nut with a sledgehammer. So we need to pick out the right tool. Does it need a text, a post, an email? Um, or is it more delicate? Does it need a phone call or a face-to-face uh, over a cuppa? Or does it even need a three-course dinner? <laughs> what does it need? What's, what's the right tool? If we need to rebuke, correct, confront, challenge, it's often best face-to-face. Um, those things are difficult to do, aren't they, without being across from the person so you can communicate your love for them, your concern, your care for them, but without you know, also dodging the need to confront and challenge them on it, but also, as well, recognising that you might have got it wrong. That's a good thing to do when you come to challenge somebody. It's just say, hey, I may have got this wrong. But when you said this, it sounded like this. Or do you know it came across a little bit like this? And leaving space for the fact that, you know, their heart might have been good. And it often is, isn't it? Sometimes people are in good heart, but they just maybe didn't execute it quite as well as they could have. And so coming to people with that kind of humility can often make the conversation easier to hear or what you have to challenge them on easier to hear. So that's um, 
How can we handle others with care? So how, finally, how do we grow in gentleness? Uh, four things. Colossians uh, 3, 12 to 13 says, So as those who've been chosen of God, holy and beloved, precious to him, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so must you do also. So how can we grow in this, uh, having a heart of gentleness, this fruit of the Spirit? How can we handle others with care? The first one is to live in the goodness, good of God's gentleness towards you in Jesus Christ. Like I was saying earlier, rejoice in his gentle spirit towards you. Rejoice in his forgiveness of you. When you come to speaking to somebody... It's very easy to be rough with them if you forget the gentleness of God towards you. If you've got fresh in your mind the mercy and forgiveness of God for your rough edges, it's, it's easier to handle the failures, the faults and the flaws of others. Um, the other thing you can do is read tour guides, books like these, Christ I Life and Gentle and Only. Understand the gentleness of God towards you will help you um, to grow in gentleness. Secondly, uh, ask for God's wisdom. James 1 verse 5 says, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. If you lack wisdom, you're not quite quite sure how to do something, ask God. Ask God. And he'll help. Ask God for wisdom and how to handle others with care. Wisdom with the content, the tone, the timing, the medium. Um, Ask others as well. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead here. James 3.17 says, The wisdom from above is peaceable, gentle, and open to reason. Peaceable, gentle, open to reason. Thirdly, ask for input from others, those who are close to you, those you trust. Maybe if you've got a husband or wife, ask them, how do I come across? Somebody you're in a secure friendship with and say, how do I come across to you? When do I? Where are my rough edges? Where do I... Struggle to come across gently. What am I like? And then listen to the thing that they have to say. And be ready to not immediately get defensive about it. <laughs> Which is often the hardest thing. You ask the question's easy. Jess, where are my rough edges? And to look. <laughs> and you think, well, oh, I wasn't quite ready for that. <clears throat> and four, put it into practice. Give time to thinking about how to be gentle towards others. And uh, put it into practice in relationship with one another. Why do we need to be gentle? Because it helps us point people to the one who is gentle at heart, to the Lord Jesus Christ, who's been gentle to us. Uh, I'm going to pray in a second uh, for us to uh, in this. And then um, we're going to spend, uh, this week's been our week of prayer and fasting. And we've been spending the week uh, praying um, into various areas of church life and for partners in the gospel that we're connected with. And uh, one of the things we wanted to do is pray for other churches in the town. I realize one of the things we're speaking into in this passage is that um, we as a church need to be handled with care. But that kind of applies as well to the wider body of Christ, doesn't it? in our relationships with other churches. And one of the ways that we can be gentle with one another from other churches and to encourage one another and to maintain unity of the Spirit is to 
pray for one another. So I've asked uh, Tom Fenning and Rich Henderson if they'd send us a couple of videos with some prayer points. So I'm going to show those and then we're going we're gonna to pray for, for the churches. Is that all right? Yeah. Great. Let me pray for us uh, first off the back of this and then we'll, we'll do that together. Lord Jesus, we thank you have not left us alone in this, wondering uh, what gentleness looks like in life. You've not left us alone to try and change by our own efforts, but you have demonstrated what gentleness looks like. Come and live life as a human being, experiencing life just as we have with siblings and relatives and friends who criticize and enemies who oppose and difficult circumstances and situations. You've been through it all and you've shown us what gentleness looks like. Thank you, Lord. And we thank you that you've been gentle towards us in forgiving us for our rough edges, that we've been able to come to you and say, yeah, Lord, we're sorry. We've got rough edges. Please help. And you've forgiven us. You've forgiven us, shown us mercy and loving kindness. And Lord, we pray that you would, um, by your spirit, work in our hearts to uh, be a church that's forgiving of one another, bearing well with one another, gentle in conversation. But we don't want to be insipid, timid, uh, watered down. Lord, help us confront and challenge one another and urge one another on to grow to be more like you and live life like you. Um, Help us have courage in conversation with one another, Um, but to do it gently and demonstrating our love and care for each other. Holy Spirit, help us to grow in this fruit of gentleness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.